Well, 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 well. Happy Sabbath again, brother and sister. I'm glad that this is the day that the Lord has, has made indeed. So, we are in this uh, series called Life Lessons from Stranger Things. And it is helping us to understand that there are some things that are strange in the word, but it is often in these strange things that we get to learn and to understand what God is trying to do in our lives. Uh, you have to play the keynote uh, presentation, my brother, not the Microsoft keynote. <clears throat> so God is, is, is teaching us these lessons and in particular, last week, if you joined us, we were looking at David having to relate or to do something strange. He must collect a hundred foreskins. Thank you, my brother, for, for that work. I had my brother here bending all over, doing some things to get us started this morning. Uh, but David must do strange things, and he must collect a hundred foreskins. But instead of collecting 104 skins, David ends up collecting 204 skins. And we learned the lesson that when God is in your corner, they can't catch you. When God is in your corner, they cannot catch you. So uh, I hope you will go and listen to that again. Uh, our text today, our strange text rather, is coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, and I want to read from verse number one to verse number five. It is a very strange text, but I believe that it has a wonderful lesson for us uh, today. First Corinthians chapter, one, chapter five, I'm reading from the ESV version. And this is how it reads. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Among you among you Christians, among you believers. Strange, strange. Now catch this. And of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. That's how strange it is. That even pagans, those who don't believe in God, do not tolerate what is among you. Hmm. And here's the kicker. For a man... Has his father's wife. Whew. <laughs> it's going to get hot in here. <clears throat> and you are arrogant. You're arrogant. You are puffed up. You're swelled up about this. You, you are proud. You say it loud and you are proud. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are, check this, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So that his spirit may be saved 
in the day of the Lord. This is very, very strange. Uh, it's, 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 it's strange because uh, for one, we have a situation in the church that people are proud of. A man has married his own mother. Mm. Not only that, people are saying, Paul is saying, get rid of this man. He does not deserve to be among you. He does not deserve to keep staying in the church. And now, Paul, where is the love, man? I thought the church is a place of grace and a place of mercy and kindness. Where is, let's be patient with him and let's allow God to change and talk to his heart. Where is all of that, Paul? Come on, man. I thought we had to love everybody, but you want him to get gone. Strange. I've tagged this text to the title, Delivered to Satan. Delivered to Satan. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you because of everything that you do and everything that you're about to do. Into your hands, O oh Lord, I commit myself and I commit your church and your people. Speak to us, O oh God, because we certainly need it. I certainly need it. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Olivia Pope, in the show Scandal, is a magician. Uh, Olivia Pope runs OPA, Olivia Pope and Associates. She manages crises. Uh, any crisis that falls on a political elite in Washington, D.C., she's able to handle it, whether it be murder, whether it be theft, adultery, Anything scandalous, Olivia Pope is able to handle it. She is the, pe the person that people are able to go to. We have a scandal in the text this morning. A man has married his own mother. That's a scandal, y'all. This is so bad that it must be dealt with. And there are some things that, uh, there are some problems, there are some issues that uh, can only be dealt with from a perspective of faith. They do not need uh, a specialist like Olivia Pope. They need the word of God. They need somebody to handle it. And right here this morning, we have a man ready to handle the situation, Paul. Uh, he, we have a man ready to deal with this situation. And what he wants us to understand, first and foremost, Vic, is the the root of the scandal. This scandal has begun because a man, I don't know how it happened, but this man has decided to marry his own mother. Perhaps he seduced her. Perhaps she was divorced from his father. Perhaps his father, perhaps his father had died and therefore he wanted to comfort his mother. But it is wrong. It is scandalous. And you know that it is spicy because even the pagans don't do this. You know that it is wrong because even those who have, who have, who don't believe in God, Think that this is not the right thing to do. 
It is very spicy and it is very, very wrong. And everybody knows about this scandal. Everybody's talking about this scandal. That church, they have a man who has married his own mother. That church, they have believers in there that do things that are, are wrong. She has, th this man has committed sexual immorality. In other words, he, he's having illegal sex. And Paul is saying, look, this thing that is going on, it is wrong because the pagans do not even do not even do this. Mahatma Gandhi Pam said it like this. I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. You see, I believe that sometimes Christians behave in such a way that even pagans uh, are embarrassed. That even pagans feel that Christians can do a bit better. So uh, when Gandhi is looking at Christians, he's saying, I like your Christ. I like what you're presenting. It is good. It is nice. But I just don't like your Christianity. I don't like how you practice your beliefs. I don't like how what you proclaim to believe does not translate in how you behave. I don't really like that. Uh, Gandhi talking about this further, he said it like this. And you must understand that Gandhi is talking because he is under the chokehold of British imperial power. His country is colonized by the British and the British say that they are believers. They, they believe in God. They are Christians. And this is how Gandhi evaluated them. This is what he said. The Christians, above all others, are seeking after wealth. Their aim is to be rich at the expense of their neighbors. They come among aliens to exploit them for their own good and cheat them to do so. Their prosperity is far more essential to them than the life, liberty, and happiness of others. This is an unchristian. Talking about Christians. He's saying when I look at Christians, I'm suspicious. When I look at Christians, I am worried. When I look at Christians, I don't understand them. Because they have a good Christ but they have a bad Christianity. And we must understand this morning that we must avoid behavior that denies who Jesus is. And the question is, when people look at you, when people evaluate you, when you go to the office, when you go to the supermarket, when you are exercising, when you are transacting at the bank, when you are dealing with the maid, when you are dealing with the security guard, when you are dealing with the one who is at the door, when you are dealing with the person who doesn't believe like you, can they see Christ in you? Now let's talk about it. When people listen to you, when you talk to them, when you handle their transactions, when you deal with their issues, do they say, whoa, this is a Christian? Or they say, well, they're a Christian, but I don't know if they're really like that. I believe that sometimes we embarrass non-believers because they're like, wait a minute, <laughs> uh, the way you behave, I, I can't even do that. The way you treat me, I cannot even treat another human being like that. Yeah, I like what you're about, but, but I'm not sure that, that who you are 
is matching what you are about. And so here we have a man who is living his Christianity in a wrong way. He claims he's a Christian, but at home he is sleeping in the same bed with his own mother. At home he is, he is doing something that is just totally wrong. And so Paul, having helped us to see the root of this scandal, turns his attention to the reaction of the scandal. And there were two reactions to this scandal. The first reaction was the members of the church. And check this. The members of the church, they are arrogant about it. Uh, this is a word that means to be puffed up. It means to be, to be, to be proud. They are arrogant or they are proud because a man is sleeping with his own mother. They are proud of the scandal. Paul is saying you are arrogant, but you should be crying. You are happy that a, a member of the church is experiencing spiritual death. You are happy with a tolerant attitude. We love everybody here. <laughs> You're proud that people feel comfortable in your worship. You are saying, well, we are free in Jesus. You are saying we are welcoming here. We have a, a, we have a permissive kind of church. Anything goes. We don't tell people what to do. We don't want to get on their nerves. We don't want to chase them away. And this is the attitude that they have. And they are proud of that. But I believe that the real issue is that they have misunderstood the essence of Christian liberty. They have misunderstood what Jesus has done for them in relation to how they are supposed to be. Hey, let me break it down. <laughs> they think that because they believe in Jesus, they can do whatever they want. They think that because they believe in Jesus and they are free, they have a license to do whatever they like, however they like it, and nobody can tell them about it. Mm. They have misunderstood something that true freedom... Mm, I'm about reaching out. They have misunderstood that true freedom is willingness to become a slave of Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if you're hearing me this morning, Sister Pam. They have misunderstood that when I believe in Jesus, my life is for him. When I believe in Jesus, I am a fanatic for Jesus. When I believe in Jesus, how I manage my money is for Jesus. When I believe in Jesus, how I dress is for Jesus. When I believe in Jesus, how I eat is for Jesus. When I believe in Jesus, how I read, how I watch, how I talk, how I walk is for Jesus. My life is for Jesus. I am free in Jesus. Paul would say it better and he said it nicely. Having been set free from sin. Ah, ah, have you been set free? Because I believe I've been set free. Having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. Uh, that's paradoxical, right? 
How can I be free and a slave at the same time? But that's what happens when you give your life over to Jesus. Now, how does a slave of righteousness think about their money? What does a slave of righteousness think about what to wear at the beach? Mm. What does a slave of righteousness think about how to interact with people? How does a slave of righteousness handle their money? <laughs> I'm coming. How does a slave of righteousness preach? How does a slave of righteousness teach? How does a slave of righteousness decide what they're going to Netflix on? <laughs> what does a slave of righteousness decide what they will do on their Amazon Prime? What will they do when they go on Audible? What will they do when they go to the mall? What will they do when they buy a car? What will they do? What does a slave of righteousness do? Two things. Number one, a slave of righteousness thinks about Jesus. They think, will this glorify my God? Will God be happy with this? Am I truly representing God when I do this? That's the first thing. The second thing that a slave of righteousness does is, how will my behavior, mm, how will my behavior impact those around me? It may be cool for me to wear a bikini, but what about that brother who is struggling? <laughs> it may not be cool for him because it's not cool for him. I will not wear my bikini. You understand what I'm saying? It may be cool for me to eat this way. <laughs> but because my brother has a, has a problem with cake, and if I bring cake in his presence, it's going to make him fall into cake and it's going to mess up his health. I will not eat cake in his presence. So when I'm free as a slave of righteousness, I think about God first and I think about my fellow human being second. It may be cool for me, but because it's uncool for him or for her, it ain't cool with me. So Paul is saying, look, your attitude about your reaction to this scandal is messed up. You're proud, but you are proud in the wrong way. And so we come to the second reaction to this scandal, and it is Paul's reaction. Catch this. Uh, Paul says it like this. For though I am, for though absent in body. Paul is saying, I'm not there. Because this is a letter that he's writing. Right? He says, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. Mm. And as if present, I have already pronounced Judgment on the one who did such a thing. Paul is saying, look, you shouldn't be happy and proud about this brother. This brother, I already judged him and he got to go. And it's a paradox. It's an irony that the one who is not there is taking action that the ones who are present are not taking. The one who is from a distance is behaving like he is near. And he is saying, you are not taking action, the action that you should be taking. You see, Paul doesn't dilly-dally around the issue. Paul doesn't skirt around the issue. Paul doesn't hide behind uh, the, the, the issue. Paul doesn't skip around the elephant in the room. He says, look at here. I believe that this brother got to go because based upon the word of God, this brother has to go. A book that I came across recently, it's called Difficult Conversations. 
And it talks about one of the challenges that we have as people. That is, a lot of times, check this, Brother Vic, uh, we speak in subtext instead of speaking in text. Subtext is the hidden underlying message. The text is what is up front, what is clear. I'm coming. So sometimes we speak in subtext like this. You ask your friend, for example, hey, are you hungry? But in reality, you are the one hungry, but you will say to him, are you hungry? Then he'll tell you, well, I'm not hungry. And the question is, when he answers you, I'm not hungry, what are you going to do? You are hungry, but he says, I'm not hungry, so are you going to eat or not? Sometimes we find ourselves in those situations that you know what you really want. You know what you should say. But instead of saying it outright, you speak in subtext. And in, when you speak in subtext, people don't understand the root text, the, 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 the thing that you mean. So Paul says, I will not speak in subtext. I will be clear. And the clarity of the situation is this. He got to go. And we need to learn that we should not speak in Christian subtext. Sometimes it requires us to be bold enough, to be clear enough, to be pointed enough, to simply say, you know what, sister, my brother, my father, my mother, I love you, but right here you are out of line. Right here, you are out of bounds. Right here, you are misrepresenting your Christianity. You're misrepresenting your God. This ain't right. And they just speak straight to the point. So Paul says, I will not speak in subtext. I'm just going to hit it off. Brother, sisters, let's get rid of this guy. Now you might be like, wow, Paul is a judgmental brother. But uh, we do judging all the time. Before I dressed up this morning, and when I looked in my closet, <clears throat> there were different blazers in the closet. There was a black one, there was a gray one, there was a blue one. Guess which one I'm wearing right now? Hitam, black. So there were other blazers, but I chose the Hitam one. You know what I just did right there? I made a judgment. So we judge all the time. So let's not say Paul is being judgmental. But what we need to always do is, we need to judge ourselves first before we judge others. Because Jesus never said don't judge. He simply said be careful because the judgment that you give on others is what is going to be judged on you. <laughs> so before you say it's bad, are you doing good? Before you say, he's fat, are you thin? Before you say, you're not reading, are you reading? Mm -hmm. Before you say, you don't exercise, are you exercising? Because Jesus understands that the one who judges himself first is less likely to judge another person. Is less likely to be judgmental. Is less likely to condemn another person. Is less likely to put somebody down because they come from a place of understanding. I'm not telling them what I don't do. I'm not telling them what is not really my life. I'm telling them what I see. I'm telling them what I do. <laughs> so when you judge other people, make sure that you've judged yourself first. And so Paul says, 
I'm judging this brother to get out of the church because I know I myself, I believe in God. I myself, I'm not committing sexual morality. I'm not marrying my own mother. I am I'm living the right life. Therefore, I have a right to say something. And I'm not saying this because I'm super righteous. I'm saying this because it is just wrong. It ain't the right thing. I love how uh, this brother E.M. Nunnally puts it. He says it like this. Jesus did not forbid all use of critical thinking and spiritual discernment. His prohibition was directed toward hypocrites who judge with wrong motives. So Paul says, you should have reacted to this scandal with judgment. Not judgmentalism, with judgment. And you should have gotten rid of this brother. But Paul is good because what Paul does is he offers the resolution to the scandal. He says, let me tell you how you resolve this problem. And this is what he says in, in verses 4 to number 5. He says it like this. When you are assembled, in other words, when you're at church, in our case, we are, <laughs> check this, in our case, we are on live stream, <laughs> Right? This is church, y'all. It says, when you get together, when you, when you worship, when you are assembled, when you are a church, when you're a congregation, when you get together in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because sometimes we can gather and not in the name of the Lord. But he says, when you are gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then he says, and my spirit, the way I feel about this man, understanding that he has to go. When my spirit is there with the power of the Lord Jesus. Check this, check this, check this. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul's resolution is this. Get rid of him. That's what you got to do. Deliver him to Satan. Now, I want you to see that Paul's resolution has three parts. It has the moment... It has the means and it has the motive. And Paul makes it very, very clear. Oh, this is going to be good. I want you to, don't, don't miss me right here. <laughs> Putra, don't miss me right here. The moment, he says, when you are assembled <laughs> in the name of the Lord and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord, that's the moment. When you're together, uh, you don't talk about it behind their back. Don't have a meeting at Starbucks. Don't have a meeting at Gay. No, 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 not there. When you are in church, when my spirit is there, when it is a spiritual environment, the moment, then he talks about the means. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. The means, the way you are to do this is to deliver this man. Use Satan and get rid of this man, the means. Then he talks about the motive. So that his spirit may be saved in the Lord. Uh, let me put it, put it to you beautifully. This is, this is what, what revolutionized my thinking. I hope it will revolutionize your thinking. You see, what Paul is doing is this. This man has a spiritual problem. That is why he's committed a scandal. And in order to deal with the spiritual problem, we need an expert in spiritual matters. Ah, can I, can I preach it like I feel it? <laughs> Ah, he says, look, when you are gathered 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you're gathered in, in the power of the Lord Jesus. So that he is saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying we need the expert Jesus to deal with this scandal. We need somebody who knows the human heart to deal with it. And so what Paul does is his resolution... His solution is a Christ-centered solution. <laughs> Paul is saying, in order for us to help this man, we need Jesus. In order for us to help this man, we need Christ. Because his problem is so bad that only Jesus can solve it. Can I preach it to you for a moment? You need to learn to attack your problems with Christ as the source of the resolution. When you have debt, when you have disease, when you have death, when you have infertility, when you have indigestion, when you have, when you have, oh my goodness, oh I, I can't say it now. When you have problems in your life, do you look to Jesus to solve them? Is Jesus the source of your problems? Do you say what I'm doing right here, Christ can approve it? Do you say he can help me? You see, I believe that only Jesus can solve your problems. <laughs> I'm going to wait for you one more time. I believe that only Jesus can solve your problems. And I hope you know that too. Uh, you see, there's a show that I've been watching uh, recently. It's called Iyanla Fix My Life. It's on the OWN network, the Oprah Winfrey network. Iyanla, uh, people approach her for their problems. Yesterday, I was watching a couple. Uh, they have been together for 17 years. And for all those 17 years, the husband has been cheating on the wife. He has slept with 345 women in 17 years. And it's just, it's just so bad. And, and the couple, the wife still believes this is the father of my children. I love him. And she wants to fix the marriage. And they approach Iyanla to fix these problems. And Iyanla is a psychologist. And she was helping them. Oh, you need to communicate. You need to let go of your pain. That's good. But let me tell you something. Iyanla cannot fix those people because those people have a problem that only Jesus can fix. They have a problem that only Jesus can touch. You know why? Because that man and that woman, they have a heart condition and only Jesus can change the heart condition. Only Jesus can recreate. Only Jesus can change desires. Only Jesus can change motives. You may go to a psychologist. You may go to a doctor. You may go to a coach. You may go to a pastor. You may go to somebody who knows the subject matter, but they can't fix you. They can help you, but they can't fix you. Because they don't have a power to change you, to recreate you. They don't have a power to take away what's really wrong with you. And so I'm here to tell you, my brother and my sister, you have a problem. You always need to ask Jesus, Jesus, I'm here. I have a problem because at the heart of your issues, the heart of your problems is a spiritual issue. Yes, this man married his mother because he had a pro problem, a serious issue. And before we say, wow, that brother is so bad. That brother is so nasty. That brother is, 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 I can't believe that a Christian can do that. 
let's, let's slow down a minute because a lot of times we are just like him. We may not have committed sins and situations like him. We may not have been incestuous. We may not have been discovered. But sin is sin, y'all. And unless we approach Jesus to help us out, we, we have no hope. Now, I want you to check something here. Paul says, deliver this man to Satan. Because I believe that sometimes God uses Satan to help you. Sometimes God hires Satan to help you. Let me give you a little evidence. We read about Job. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. We read about Peter. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, but I have prayed for you. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Paul, we read about him. A thorn in the flesh was given to him, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest I be exalted above measure. I say it again. God can hire Satan to help you. God can sometimes utilize him to bring you to the place that you need to be. And that's what Paul says. You are to deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. We need Satan's ability. We need Satan's help so that this man can truly be helped. Paul says his flesh needs to be destroyed. His flesh needs to be destroyed. The flesh. The flesh. Is not your physical skin. It's not your physical body. The flesh refers to the sinful nature with all its weaknesses. You know what the flesh is? The flesh is your stubbornness. <laughs> That's your flesh. When you feel like you don't want to do it, <laughs> when you feel like you don't want to go to church, that's the flesh. When you feel like you want to disrespect her, that's your flesh. When you feel like you want to disrespect him, that's the flesh. <laughs> Am I talking to the, to, to the flesh, to the to fleshly people? Because <laughs> I'm fleshly sometimes. You feel me? I'm fleshly. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the flesh. And so Paul is saying, in order for us to help this man's flesh, his sinful nature, his weaknesses, we need Satan's help. Now I said, Lord, you need Satan's help. Because let's check this for a moment. Ah, let's check this. Oh, you're going to get this. This is, hey, please, do, mm, 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 don't miss me right here. This is going to get good. Because I asked myself, Lord, deliver him to Satan? As, as far as I know, Satan is a master manipulator. Because he got Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. Now, if you bring, deliver this man to Satan... And he's, he's in the hands of Satan. Isn't Satan going to not only make him be incestuous, but Satan is going to inspire him to have other women on the side? You, you get what I'm saying? Isn't Satan going to make him do even worse? How can Satan be helpful to him? I need you to know that Paul was not speaking literally. 
Paul was speaking figuratively because he understood a truth that you and me need to understand. Outside of the church is the realm of Satan. Is the realm where he operates. So what Paul is saying, allow him to be delivered out, to be excommunicated, to be disfellowshipped from the realm of God, from the kingdom of God, for him to experience a life outside of the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm going to make it clear for you in a moment. You see, when I have bought a new product, I take care of it. Oh, I take care of it. I treat it like a baby. I'll make sure that when it is charged, I will unplug it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I will wipe it. I will clean it. I will look over it. It, it, It'll be a baby. If somebody wants to tell you, hey, watch out, watch out. Be careful, be careful now. That's how I treat new products. But you know what happens after I have had the new product? After a while. I leave it on the charger overnight. Sometimes I drop it (laughs) and it has cracks in it. And I say, oh, that's bad. It's fine. You know, you don't know about. And one time I lost a a, a charger to my to my earbuds, earbuds, because I was in the in the grab car and I became a little careless and the charging case fell out of my pocket and I left the car the grab car I went up to my place and I was sleeping and in the morning I'm looking because I have the earbuds but I'm looking for the charging case I cannot find it I'm like where has it gone to oh it's in the grab car I, I left it I called grab company I, I, I did everything but they told me sir we are sorry we cannot find your charging case. Now, now check this, Putra. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I really need that charging case. This, this is the only earbuds that I have. <laughs> so, man, for three months, I would go and look in the stores and just drool over charging cases. I'm like, man, I want the charging case. Oh, I need that charging case. I researched. I went places saying, where can I get one? It's so expensive. How can I? I went all over drooling, looking for this charging case for three, four months. And you know what, that, what happened in my heart is, wow, what I had was important. What I had was a great advantage and a privilege and now that I don't have it I am lost I don't have it anymore and so when Paul says deliver this man over to Satan he wanted this man to understand and to realize that without the fellowship of the church without the fellowship of Christ without the relationship with Jesus he doesn't he's losing something of a privilege he's left to his own flesh that can kill him he's left to the power of Satan that can destroy him. He is without the protection of God. He is without the protection of, 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 of other Christians. He cannot be prayed for. He cannot be visited. And Paul was saying, if we deliver this man, he will now realize in his heart, in his mind, Lord, I want to repent. I want to change. I want to come back to you. But they had to go through pain. Of letting him go. They, got, they had to go through pain. 
of making it hard a decision to get him out. Now, now, now watch this. Watch this. Don't, don't miss this. You see, what's profitable is not always likable. It's not, prof, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not always likable to read, but it is profitable. It is not always likable to go to sleep early, but it is profitable. You feel what I'm saying? It is not always likable to eat healthy, but it is profitable. Sometimes what's profitable is painful. Sometimes what's profitable is hard. And Paul is saying, we need to let him go. It is not easy, but it is profitable because it is going to help him because when we have delivered this man over to Satan it is going to save him and prepare him for the day of the Lord Jesus Christ I need you to know this morning that sometimes the things that you need to deliver over to Satan the things that you need to let go are the things that are not profiting you the things that are not helping you and you need to let them go if you are to have a more fruitful relationship with Jesus. There are some things you got to let go. There are some people you got to let go. There are some places you got to let go. There are some habits you got to let go because it may be likable. You may enjoy it, but it is not profitable for you. Deliver it over to Satan. Let it go. Because you know that it is not going to profit you. And you see what Paul does is he, drive, he drives the point home to help us to see that what's profitable is not always likable. And he emphasizes this by talking about the result of the scandal. And this is what Paul says. He says, look, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So what Paul does is this. He goes into his bag of illustrations and he says, look, this is what's going to happen to you. If you keep this man here, this is what's going to happen. He's going to infect everybody like how yeast infects bread. His sin is going to affect everybody in such a way that you are going to be in a similar situation just like him. And therefore, you may not like it, but it is profitable. You may not want it, but it is helpful. My brother and my sister, I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants us to prioritize what is profitable over what is likable. He wants us to prioritize looking over ourselves, looking over our spirituality first, looking over our relationship with God first. It doesn't matter if they don't like you. It doesn't matter if you don't, if you like it. It doesn't matter if you think it's good, but if you know that it is destroying your faith with God, then you need to get rid of it. Then you need to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to make a decision today that this thing is not going to get in my way with you. Because I understand that what's profitable is not always likable. See, the other day I was working. I was working, doing stuff. And hunger started calling me. I was very hungry, y'all. I wanted to eat. So I checked the clock. It was after 10 p.m. 
I said, well, this, this ain't time to eat. This ain't time to eat. I might want to eat. But if I eat right now, I'm not going to sleep well. It's not going to profit me. Therefore, even though I like it, but I realize that it is not profitable for me, therefore I'm not going to, to do it. You need to start to live your life like that. That you process first the profitability of the action in relation to your spirituality. You need to start to say, I will not, I will not focus on instant gratification, but I will focus on true gratification. I will not live with a microwave mindset. I will live with an oven mindset. I will not live with a processed food mindset. I will live with a proper, proper home-cooked mindset. I will focus on what's good for me truly more than what's tasty. I will think about God first than what I want first. And when you realize that what you want is not profitable, you need to deliver it over to Satan. Let it go. Because you understand that you want to be prepared for God to come. What things do you need to deliver over to Satan today? What habits need to be delivered over to Satan today? What attitudes need to be delivered to Satan today? What things do you need to deliver to Satan today? Perhaps it is gambling. Perhaps it is lying. What do you need to deliver to Satan today? Because your salvation matters most. Because your salvation is profitable to you. But the journey may not always be likable. Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes are closed as we pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you today for speaking to us. There are some things in our lives that we need to deliver over to Satan. We need to hand them over. To let them go. Please, Lord, teach us how to do that today. Give us a grace today to do it. Renew our hearts, O oh God. And strengthen us in the likeness of Jesus. So, Lord, accept us and receive us. Because, Father, we can't help ourselves. Into your hands, O oh God, I pray for your sons and your daughters. Whatever it is that they need to deliver to Satan, let them do it today. And bless them and strengthen them, O oh God. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and your love. In the awesome and wonderful name of Jesus, I humbly pray. Amen.
God bless you, child of God. I'm going to see you very soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. How you felt about the sermon? I am blessed to hear the word of God. I love that whatever problems that we have in life, God would always there for us. Perhaps God's word inspired you too. And if you would like to dig deeper into God's word for yourself with our pastoral team, or you would like us to pray for you, you can reach us in our hotline number on the screen, and our team will reach to you as soon as possible. May the Lord bless you and take care.